0: I am surprised to see you are back. Please, come in. What's that you say? You have a concern about your time here. You've been hearing things lately, have you not? A loud screeching noise? Ah, there it is again. Well, I can tell you, your concerns are not unwarranted. This is the scream of the Banshee. Ah, but do not worry, all is not as it seems. To find out more, continue to listen to the Rasafari. Spooky spectacular. He
1: started learning to fly in my in my apartment.
0: Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Rossifari. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the second part of the spookiest zoo podcast event around, the Safari Spooky Spectacular. I am so excited to have you back on this Halloween adventure with me. Keep in mind, this is part two of a three-part series diving into some of the most iconic animals associated with Halloween. If you haven't heard part one yet, you may want to go download it and take a listen as we get into bats and snakes. And definitely make sure you're back here on Thursday for Part 3, an entire episode devoted to tarantulas. My entire life, I have battled intense arachnophobia, to the point where even the littlest spider could have me running across the room in terror. Two years ago, I started slowly working on overcoming that fear, with the ultimate goal being to handle a tarantula without fear. Did it happen? Did I succeed? Am I alive or is this previously recorded? Do I currently owe Elmwood Park Zoo a replacement tarantula that will be named Rosie 2? Tune in to the next episode to find out. Of course, the best way to make sure you don't miss that episode is by going and hitting subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on right now. If it's Apple Podcasts, you can also take a second to give the show a five-star rating and maybe even take 20 more seconds to write a quick review. It helps people to find the podcast, makes me feel super happy, and also can help keep ghosts at bay during these long, spooky season nights. Also, make sure you're hitting up at Raw on Insta and Facebook, rossafari.com patreon.com slash rasafari, and the merch page at rossafari.redbubble.com Today's interview is with Laura Soder, the manager of ambassador animal engagement at Elmwood Park Zoo. We spend the vast majority of the episode talking about an ambassador banshee the zoo has. Wait. That that can't be right. Oh, we talk about a barn owl named Banshee and some of the other amazing owls at the zoo. You'll hear all about hand-raising an owl, some incredible facts about owl physiology, and even an interesting tidbit about possibly the world's most famous owl, Hedwig. After the main interview, Laura took me back to hang out with Banshee, and I've included some of the audio of that experience here. But the truth is, you've already heard some of it, as the cry of the Banshee in the intro was, in fact, the cry of Banshee the barn owl. So now you know the truth of the cry you were hearing. But continue to listen to learn much more from Laura Soder at Elmwood Park Zoo. All right, so tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here.
1: All right, my name is Laura Soder, and I am the manager of ambassador animal engagement at Elmwood Park Zoo in Norristown. And uh, so that basically just means I am one of our educators and work with a lot of our ambassador animals.
0: Awesome. How many uh, ambassadors do you guys have here roughly?
1: Uh, Right now we have, I believe, close to 60 individuals of a, a lot of different species. So birds, mammals, reptiles, amphibians, and even a few invertebrates.
0: Very cool. Uh, and while I'm sure they all have amazing stories, today we are here to talk about one very uh, spooky animal. Although, let's be honest, Banshee's not spooky at all.
1: <laughs> no, uh, not spooky. But,
0: no, but we're going to be talking about um, an owl that recently came to live here and, and talking about that story. So go ahead and tell me a little bit about what kind of owl Banshee is.
1: So Banshee is a barn owl, which is actually one of the most widespread species of owl on our planet. They're found almost everywhere. And they are kind of in the middle range of size for owls. They are found in Pennsylvania, and they're also one of the more elusive. So many people are familiar with the barn owl as a, a, the image and um, the name, but many people haven't seen them because they are very secretive. And so we're excited to have one here because they are actually one of the best predators for the pest species that we don't appreciate having around our home. So they eat a lot of mice and rats and moles and voles and things like that. But they are found throughout our state and um, they're recognized best by their heart-shaped face. So they have a very white heart-shaped face.
0: Very cool. And um, I'm curious, why do you think owls in general um, are associated with Halloween?
1: I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that most species we encounter are nocturnal. So they're out at night and they do make a lot of noises that are a little off-putting if if they catch you off guard. Uh, Barn owls in particular are known for their screaming and their hissing calls. So they don't hoot like our typical great horned owls and barred owls. They make this horrifying (laughs) screaming sound. It kind of sounds like a woman screaming um, and it's accompanied by a hissing sound. So... If you can picture, especially early colonial times when people lived on farms and, you know, probably had wildlife a little bit more closely in their backyard and they were hearing these sounds and they had no idea what they were, that, you know, sets you up for our mind to fill in the blanks with legends and scary stories and things like that. So I think owls kind of, because of their nocturnal habits and the fact that they do have very large, bright colored eyes, um... And they, they're kind of secretive and aloof. That all adds into that spooky factor.
0: Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I had a experience um, with uh, foxes, which also scream yes. a lot. And uh, <laughs> when, when Zoe and I moved into our condo fairly early on, um, there were some fox screams outside. And I had never heard a fox scream before. And uh, it was about 2 in the morning. And there was John Rossi in his boxer shorts running outside <laughs> to save the woman who was being murdered. I I had no idea, yep. yeah, so yeah, no, that can definitely be a little little scary, <laughs> so um tell me about Banshee specifically. when did Banshee get here?
1: so Banshee came to Elmwood Park Zoo at about ten days old. Uh, he hatched out on july twenty seventh I believe, and uh, we chose to bring him here very early because his job is going to be as an ambassador animal, and ambassador animals. They help us to do educational programs both here on site at the zoo and off site. Um, and so, a lot of what they have to do is encounter a lot of new people and situations. So the best way to set them up for success is to introduce them to those things early on. And so uh, we worked with the Philadelphia Zoo. They have a pair of barn owls on exhibit. And when they let us know that there was an egg, we expressed interest. And so it was a lot of waiting uh, and um, hoping that the egg would hatch. And when it finally did, we then um, were kept up to date on, on its progress. And at 10 days old, Banshee arrived. He weighed about 85 grams, which is less than an apple. Wow. He was quite small. He could fit in the palm of our hands. He did not have any feathers. His eyes weren't open. He was just a little little ball of bird. <laughs> um, unrecognizable compared to what he would grow up to be. So from that point on, he remained under our care. So we took on the role of owl mom and dad. And so he actually came home with me every night. <laughs> um, he lived in an incubator. So because he had to keep warm, just like mom and dad would in a nest and uh I hand-fed him. Um, Every couple hours, he ate about four to five times a day at first um, and then eventually started to slow down a little. But within a two- or three-week period, he grew uh, about four or five times his size. And um, at about two or three weeks, he started to really have feathers. His eyes were open. He was kind of mobile. Um, By four weeks, he was walking around and kind of flapping. And so by about six, seven, eight weeks is when his adult feathers grew in. It only takes a barn owl 65 days to go from hatchling to fledgling, which is when they would start to learn to fly and leave the nest. So within, you know, seven, eight weeks, nine weeks, he was a full size owl. So he is, I believe right now he's eleven weeks old. So okay. yeah.
0: Um I I had the experience of of seeing, you know, on social media mm-hmm. the little floof that yes. eventually became the owl. <laughs> and uh, I was here maybe just two weeks ago now. And I asked Michelle if I could go back and and see him. And Mm -hmm. um, I was expecting a little floof. Yeah, this is just a barn owl. At this point, I was I was in shock that that is an amazing rapid change. Yeah, it is. So what do you feed? And how do you feed um, a baby?
1: Yeah, so when when he first arrived, um, we would so naturally in the wild, they're going to eat little mammals generally. They are carnivores, and mom and dad would um pull apart the food and then and feed them with their beak. So we used tongs at first because he had a very tiny beak and it was very tiny pieces of food. But we had to um skin and uh prepare the mice and basically pull all the meat off the bone. So he only got meat for the first couple weeks. And since that's a little easier to digest and then As he grew, we started to give him larger pieces and include bone and fur and things like that. Uh, but that was, you know, a couple weeks in. So initially we started with tongs. Um, we would just kind of wiggle it in front of him, touch his little beak like mom and dad would. They would actually kind of rub their their beak against his. And then once he was able to see, um, it became more of a, you know, just approaching and handing it to him by fingers. So we still finger and hand feed him now. We actually use his food and we'll continue to use his food to train him. So that's how we reward him for doing different things. So that was initially why we started hand feeding as soon as possible so that he was comfortable with that and associated that food with, with people. So it was, it was a little tricky at first, but he's a good eater.
0: (laughs) Good. That's awesome. Um, very cool. So, uh, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is what do you do when you have an owl at your house?
1: (laughs) Well, the first, um, couple weeks were pretty easy, surprisingly. Um, I mostly, you know, woke myself up every few hours just to check on him. But he was very easy, very quiet, because baby birds do sleep a lot, just like a lot of baby things. Um, So he lived in his incubator for the first couple weeks. Once he started to stand and walk and need to stretch his wings, um, I would bring him out and allow him to sit out with me. Um, he watched some T V, some nice. T V shows. And Did he movies. have a favorite show? Or? Um he likes the office. Oh wonder <laughs> all right,
0: yes. Good job, Dan. Yeah.
1: Um so I introduced him to classics, you know, everything <laughs> important. Um and so yeah, he, he got to hear a lot of different sounds. That's you know, he saw myself and, and my fiance walk around the apartment. I live with some cats and um so he met them oh, early on.
0: Interesting.
1: Thankfully my cats are very used to weird animals being around. So um is
0: that a dig on your fiance? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm
1: kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Banshee definitely considered him a weird animal, I think, because he's he's a pretty tall guy and looked a little different from the, most of the people that work here at our zoo. Um, yeah, so Banshee com- would come out for short periods of time, very short periods of time at first, just so we didn't overwhelm him, because we wanted it to be a slow... Um, you know kind of just habituation to different things not all of a sudden flooding in with stuff so yeah and then once he got mobile it got really exciting um i had to baby proof my apartment a little bit (laughs) so barn owls are cavity nesters which means they like to hide inside of things so any little tiny space that he could find when he was running around he would try to crawl into (laughs) so i had to block (laughs) spots off um so he wouldn't be under my couch or behind my A bookshelf covered in dust bunnies. Um, and yeah, once he started learning to fly in my, in my apartment and at the zoo, so he would come home with me every night and then come into work with me every day. So, um, my couch was his very first like launch pad uh, to learn how to fly, which was very interesting. So living with an owl, um, it definitely was exciting and fun, but it was a (laughs) messy, um, (laughs) birds can poop over 40 times a day. So, um, little owls make quite a mess. And, uh, once he started to really explore um, flying, you know, when he could actually get off the ground and, and get across the room, that's when we made the transition to him staying at the zoo overnight and full time because, um, you know, we wanted him to t- continue to grow and learn but do it safely. And right, an apartment's right. not the best place for that. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was quite an interesting adventure. So the first few weeks were nice and quiet and pretty easy. And then as soon as he started to move, it was very fast paced from there. But still pretty cool.
0: That's Oh, that's just awesome! That's I want an owl at home, <laughs> just for like a week or two to play with. Right?
1: right? Yeah, yeah, they were um, fun. <laughs> so,
0: did uh, does Banshee have, or did Banshee have any favorite uh, toys or activities or anything?
1: He did. Um, so we tried him on a couple different things. Initially, it was just kind of like little balls of paper and things that we could monitor, you know, to make sure he was safe. Um, but we wanted to encourage natural behavior like grabbing and grasping and and picking because in the wild. He would be learning how to hunt. Um, and he doesn't do that here at the zoo, but we did want him to still develop those skills. So he loved to play with little balls. Um, and he likes to shred things still now. Um, he had a little stuffed hedgehog that was his absolute favorite <laughs> toy <laughs> that he would carry around. Um, unfortunately now we can't safely leave it with him because he's big enough that he could eat it. Gotcha. Um but when he was small, he would he would chase it and pounce on it and squeeze it and chew on it and So he really, really loved that. And uh, he also loved string. So long strings with like little ribbons tied to it. He would chase those and pounce on them. So um, we tried to introduce him to enrichment and toys pretty early on to, again, help stimulate him and help keep him growing and um, moving. And so he is very curious and very playful still. But uh, yeah, that little hedgehog was his favorite, his favorite for sure. Um, And I would definitely say that terrorizing my cats a little was a favorite activity (laughs) at a certain point. So (laughs) he, I think, um, thought they were his little friends. So he would follow them around a lot as a a little, uh, which was fine when he was small, but when he got a little bigger, they weren't too keen on it. But he is just very, very curious about every person and everything that he encounters, which is awesome to see for us. He's a very confident little owl. (laughs) Very cool. So
0: I'm curious, um, you transition him back to living at the zoo. Mm -hmm. What's what's that like for him?
1: Um, we tried to make it as smooth as possible. I think honestly it was harder for me. I get, <laughs> as I the, get that as the yeah. owl mom. Yeah, I get that. Um, initially, he so he had a large soft sided dog kennel um, that 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 was his like home base. So when he was here at the zoo um, and traveling back and forth to my apartment, he would stay in that when it was you know bedtime or you know just quiet time. So we just brought that here and he stayed in here um, at night for the first week or so and just went outside for the day. And when we first introduced him to his outdoor space, um, it was supervised for the first two times. And then after that, we did like maybe an hour to two hours and we just kind of expanded it from there. And what we would do is we would um, take his soft-sided kennel outside, set it down on the ground and um, leave the door open and allow him to come and go as he wanted. So he could come out, he could stay in the kennel, the first couple of days he stayed in the kennel because it was a little overwhelming. Um, despite the fact that he had been, you know, on millions of car rides and right, seen all kinds right. of weird sounds and stuff outside is still very new. And we do have other birds that live back there that um were a little curious, you know, checking him out. So uh, but after the first couple of days, we ended up letting him stay out for a big, much longer periods of time because he once he figured out that he liked being outside, he didn't want to come back in. So Um, It only took about a week to transition him to staying out there for full days. And then um, we switched him over to full day and night. And he's been out there the last two weeks um, full time. So and that kind of coincided with him learning to climb and fly. So we were hoping that that would encourage him to explore the space, too. So he was he was able to fly across the room. (laughs) So that was kind of our signal, like, let's move him outside so he can fly across to his perches. So.
0: Very cool. So in general, um, at least with barn owls, because I know, you know, there's so many types of birds. um, Is learning to fly just a thing that they do so they don't need like any kind of parental? Or did you have to like go in there and flap your arms?
1: (laughs) No. um, So this was our first experience raising a raptor. um, So I wasn't really sure what it was going to look like. Mm -hmm. I've, I've worked with other birds before. Uh, he he knew pretty much what to do. Um, it started as him flapping, just standing on the ground, and just flapping, and you could see that he was stretching and kind of growing those wings. And then it began as exploratory jumping off of things, and he wasn't very graceful. But I never really <laughs> had to prompt him. It kind of was like he just got more and more bold. Um, and the first time he you know, jumped off the couch onto the floor, and he landed relatively gracefully, but like clearly, you know. With a thump, and um from there it began to be more hopping up on stuff. so it started off with going down, then it became hopping up, and then it became hopping across and gliding a little bit and so he he did it all on his own, and I didn't really have to prompt any of it. It was um pretty amazing actually with how quickly it developed and and he um, you know, from the moment he actually started to jump off and glide and fly across like maybe two or three feet within a few days, he was able to fly across the room um and so it happened very quickly but yeah we didn't have to do any um mock training or anything like that he figured it out
0: that's mostly awesome, although I kind of liked the idea of you having to put on a little bird costume <laughs> right. and, you know.
1: Slapping the yeah. wings. I gave him lots of encouragement. <laughs> oh, so. Of course, of course, yes. <laughs> I was there for uh, emotional support. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> So as an ambassador animal, what are slash will be uh, his, his duties? What's his job?
1: Yeah, so eventually he'll be coming out into the zoo. The first step is coming out in the zoo to meet more guests um, because we want to, kind of transition him slowly, you know, move at his pace. And so he'll come out for just some casual greets where we'll have guests be able to approach and come up and ask questions and things like that. We do a lot of those little impromptu things in the zoo um, to try to create a really cool guest experience. And right now, especially with the world being a little different, we're not doing as many formal programs, but that will be something he does. So eventually he'll travel off-site to schools Um, retirement homes different events and things so he'll do stuff here at the zoo with uh groups and things and also off-site so but we'll start off pretty slow just kind of taking him out and letting him meet new people um we would like to eventually have him do some flight demonstrations because he is physically healthy and fully flighted and and learning every day how to fly a little better so um that's something that we're looking forward to exploring more of um Here at the zoo. So it's a a larger like demo or show we'd like to do, but that takes a little bit of practice um, for him and for us. So, but yeah, so he'll, he'll um, be used in some of our formal and informal programming. And typically our ambassador animals, we usually will go over their natural history, you know, their really cool adaptations, try to build some empathy for the species and then also talk about conservation. And one of the reasons we were really excited about a barn owl is because they are so iconic Um, but elusive, you know, many people are just, they want to know more about them. And they are one of the species that unfortunately is impacted very heavily by human action. So because they eat a lot of rodents, they unfortunately end up accidentally poisoned from rodenticides and things like that. They run into cars and windows and things, they get confused, and they do inhabit human places. They are called barn owls because they like to live in barns and attics and places like that. So They're a species that is really um, affected by our actions. And so being able to bring that messaging to life with with Banshee, um, we hope we'll be able to hopefully protect the ones in the wild. So let's talk
0: about that for a minute. If um, you are a human, uh, and if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a human, I'm confused. (laughs) But so if you are a human and you go into your attic and there is a barn owl um i'm assuming that the best move is not to grab a broom and swat at it so how do we how do we handle that situation
1: so uh, my suggestion would be you know we we would definitely want to find out whether it's just a, a casual visitor or if it's trying to set up shop um they typically are going to be mating and um you know establishing a nest area starting in winter through early spring so like actually Coming up in the next month is when you'll hear a lot of owl activity because they are finding a mate, they're establishing a territory, and then they nest usually in late winter. Um, So if it happens to be like a random day in the summer, it's probably not an owl that's going to be roosting and nesting. They don't spend a lot of time in their nesting areas unless they have eggs and babies. But if it is over the winter, you may have a situation where they've decided it's a nice place to raise a family. Um, If you're able to, you know, I would wait till they're done, whatever they're doing, and then try to close up any small spaces. Like I said, Banshee, the barn owl, loves small spaces. Barn owls are are able to get into tiny places. And it's a similar situation to if you have bats at home. Um, you want to just close up any holes, any opportunities. You can also put up uh, boxes. So they will use bird boxes. Oh, um, they, nice. they have specific... Um, size requirements um, a little bit bigger than a screech owl box but not super super large but if you want to encourage them to hang out but not in your house if you seal up the area that they are using you can put up a box outside instead so and they're a great animal to encourage around um, because of their pest control abilities it's just not you know we all understand we don't always want owls hanging out in our house they're pretty messy
0: <laughs> i mean no i want owls hanging out in my house. but i understand what you mean that the normal people do not want yes that. yes um, so tell me a little bit about their adaptations and what makes, uh, what makes Banshee so special.
1: Well, like other owls, they have excellent vision and excellent hearing. Uh, barn owls actually have some of the best hearing of all the owls. That heart-shaped face is designed to act like a satellite dish. So when sound kind of hits the front of their face, the shape of um, those feathers, the the facial discs is what we call those, pushes the sound back to their ears. So they've done, um, scientists have done studies and, tests and experiments and have found that barn owls can track their food track down prey in complete darkness so they don't actually need to be able to see their food to find it they can use all hearing which is pretty impressive and now it's hearing but it's not echolocation right no it's it's, literally just hearing just listening to those sounds yeah and there's it's really cool um there's videos out there where you'll you can see barn owls do this little side to side like head shake and that's them trying to Um, pinpoint where a sound is coming from so um, they will just very 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 lightly move their head back and forth and they have um, ears that are lopsided so the sound will hit one higher that one first versus the other depending on where the sound's coming from so they are designed to hear far better than most of us and most other birds really Um, and then of course they have great eyesight so owls in general their eyes take up a whole lot of space in their head If we had owl eyes, our eyes would be about the size of a softball, each one. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so they have those large um, eyes to allow, you know, to see them to see in the low lighting. So that's kind of why um, nocturnal, they are perfect predators for hunting in the dark. They can hear things without being able to see them and find them um, that way. They also have feathers that help them to fly silently. So we uh, chose the name Banshee. um, And it's funny you brought up the spooky side of things because owls often are tied into legend. And because owls have feathers that allow them to fly silently, they have this real mystique to them. So um, Banshees are, you know, generally known as this mythological or or creepy, scary creature. It's usually associated with Irish uh, folklore And the Banshee was known to fly around the night and usually make a horrifying screaming sound and was an omen of death. So now they're typically associated with um, a woman, you know, potentially a woman in white. But if you take all that information and you kind of break it down um, a little more logically or scientifically, Banshee, the barn owl, um, would have a white underbelly. They would fly almost silently through the night and they make a horrifying screaming sound. So we believe that some of that folklore, that legend ties into barn owls because they are going to hit all those, those boxes as far as what the requirements were to be a banshee. Amazing. Um, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> so that, that silent flight though, obviously is an adaptation to help them hunt. Um, they don't want to be seen or, or heard, especially by their prey. So those feathers break up, they basically have like a, a fringe on the end that, uh, help to break up the sound when they're flying. So aside from that, they have talons in a beak, just like other raptors. So they are strict carnivores. Those talons, those nails on their feet are going to be used for catching and uh, sometimes killing their food. And then that beak is like a fork and knife. So they'll rip and tear apart things. Um, but many owls actually swallow their food whole, Banshee included, if he has the opportunity. Yeah. And they cast up a pellet later on. So because they don't want to waste energy, digesting fur and bones and things that they don't really need. They actually will separate that stuff out in their stomach. And a few hours after they've eaten, let's say a mouse, um, the bones and the fur will come back up as a nice little packaged pellet um or hairball <laughs> nice
0: yeah okay. and so that comes up like through the beak again yep they they
1: regurgitate okay. it yep um and you can sometimes find the entire skeleton of whatever it was they ate which is pretty cool wow <laughs> yeah that's fascinating and that actually allows uh scientists to learn a lot about what owls are eating because right. they can find these pellets and and find full skeletons sometimes so yeah They're pretty incredible animals. I could go on and on about owls. (laughs) Well,
0: well, good, because you're on a podcast about them. So that's, (laughs) that's helpful. Um, now, I know that there are some other owls at the zoo, um, but because they're not ambassadors, I assume you don't take care of them or do you? Or-
1: so we have a couple other ambassador owls. Okay. Um, so Banshee is our newest. Uh, we have Stella. Stella is our temple owl. She is the official live mascot for Temple University. So she's kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's a great horned. Um, we also have another great horned owl named Sherlock, who is semi-retired. Uh, he kind of just hangs out um but he was an ambassador owl and then we also have a snowy owl um named Snowy so I know it's very creative wow you guys are killing <laughs> it with the name game right now <laughs> yeah that one's uh easy to remember um and then we also have three screech owls that come out and do educational programs too but aside from that we do have owls on exhibit we have a barred owl and a great horned owl um, and my uh, my educators and myself, we don't really take care of them. So they live here at the zoo. The keepers take care of them. Um, and they're out for people to see whenever they come to visit. So our ambassadors live behind the scenes uh, and do make appearances, but aren't always available to right, be Right, right.
0: So tell me a little bit more about some of the other ambassador owls. Um, any interesting personalities? Or, oh, yes. <laughs> um, shocker.
1: Yeah, so Stella is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, so she's our great horn. She's our temple owl. So she is uh, an imprint. So essentially that means that she was raised by people, which is similar to what we just did with Banshee. So we purposefully imprinted Banshee. We wanted Banshee to see people and not be scared and to think of positive things. Um, Stella was not purposely imprinted, at least uh, not in the best way. So she was actually found when she was very small and someone took her home, probably probably being a good samaritan and decided they were going to raise her and unfortunately um that's never a good idea unless you are a certified wildlife rehabber or are in our case you know banshee was born at a zoo so he was okay to come to another zoo but um so stella was raised by people and um owls might seem like great pets but they are not for many many reasons um and unfortunately, she never learned how to be a wild owl. And she, we believe she did not get the proper nutrition when she was younger either because she does not develop her feathers correctly. So she's unable to fly. Um, so she was confiscated from this person. And uh, Fish and Wildlife tried to release her and realized that, one, she didn't really know how to fly. And two, she would not leave the area. So that's when she was placed with us. So Stella does a great job of being a mascot. She is comfortable in situations that most owls never would be. Um, but that does not mean that she is super friendly. So she is, um, very used to, to coming out into the zoo and we work really hard to build a positive relation with her, but she's often considered a diva. Um, cause she is <laughs> very particular about who she works with and when she goes out and some days she just decides she doesn't want to. <laughs> and we accommodate that. Um, but because she, she is an incredible bird and and like I said not many animals not many birds or owls could sit on the sideline of a Temple University football game right, at Lincoln right. Financial Field with a band and and she does it so casually and half the time she falls asleep so <laughs> um she's an amazing owl but she definitely has like her people and when she doesn't want to do something she doesn't want to do something so um we're lucky to have her, but she does have a little bit of a checkered past, and, and sometimes that shows, unfortunately. But um, she's our most uh, uh, particular owl. And then Snowy uh, came from another facility in Canada, and so she um, did require a little bit of work. She was definitely pretty fearful of people for a while. Um, and st- female Snowy owls are notoriously difficult sometimes to work with. They, uh, When it comes to raptors, The females are usually much larger and they're usually much more bold. And so Snowy was not super happy being around people, but she also wanted to make sure you knew that she was in charge, which can be a little scary when you're dealing with a large owl. Um, So it took a little time to win her over and and kind of work on her trust, but she is an awesome ambassador now too. And now she's very particular with the weather. Snowy doesn't come out when it's really warm. Um, She doesn't really spend a lot of time out in the zoo in the summer months, but this time of year is her jam. So she'll be out throughout the fall and the winter months here. And then our little screech owls, um, those guys all have some kind of physical injury. So we have one named Zeppelin, who unfortunately uh, had lead poisoning. So hence the name Zeppelin. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Oh, boy. A little okay. more creative on that one. Yeah, right? that was, that's pretty great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, his eyes don't dilate properly. So he is physically healthy. We're not sure how much he's all there, though. Um, so he did suffer some neurological damage. Um, and then we have Houdini, who is an escape artist. Um, and she had uh, suffered from some eye damage from a collision. We're not sure what she ran into, maybe a window or a car, you know, your general typical things. Um, so she can't see perfectly well. And then we have Munchkin, who is missing an eye. So um, all of those guys are rescue birds that, you know, and ordinarily wouldn't survive in the wild. So they came here and have a second chance um, at helping us to teach and, and helping their wild counterparts. So it's, they're all very different. Even though they're all owls, um, they're all very different personalities.
0: <laughs> nice. And how many people a day when uh, Snowy is out uh, say,
1: Hedwig? <laughs> Pretty much everyone who stops yeah. by. Yeah. And the cool thing with her is uh, that – Hedwig in the Harry Potter movies is played by a male owl. So that's why in the movies, Hedwig is almost all white. Whereas the actual female Snowy owls have brown and black speckles all right, over them. Right. So people get a little confused sometimes. They're like, wait, why does she look different? And then we have that fun fact to throw out there.
0: Very cool. Yeah, when I when um Snowy first got here, she was out on exhibit. She was. And I spent a lot of time with that owl um, because she was just so... Not only so beautiful, but so interactive. Yes, um, and and yelled at me occasionally. Oh yeah, she's but, very um, vocal. <laughs> yeah, we we had some great conversations. Uh. Yeah, she she
1: loved being on exhibit, and that was an awesome um an awesome time for her. The scary part for us is that uh, it coincided with breeding season, and so she was large and in charge and didn't want anybody near her space, so we had to get creative and learn how to crate train her from protected contact. Oh, wow. Um, So we did, and, and we succeeded in that, but we didn't handle Snowy at all during that period because she was very much on her own and happy to be on her own, so... Um, she, uh, moved back behind the scenes to be an ambassador and, and is a little less, uh, intense now. And we're also learning, you know, what time of year to kind of give her her space and when to, when to push it a little bit. So, but she's a beautiful bird. Very cool. Yeah, she really is. So what I'm wondering is if there's anything
0: else that you want to say about any of your owls or or anything like that?
1: Um, yeah, sure. I, I just want to kind of shout out to the rest of our, um, education staff and EPZ staff and, uh some other people who have helped us. The last three years, we've spent deep diving into how we could make their lives the most positive as possible. So historically, with a lot of raptors, um, owls included, the old style of handling them was kind of a like, you're coming with me. And that's that, you know, there wasn't a lot of choice for the animal. Um, and when it comes to you know, a lot of zoos were moving away from a lot of that. We're giving our animals as much choice as possible and finding that we can get so much from them because we are doing that. Right. So, we made a decision a couple of years ago to completely revamp how we work with our birds. And, you know, we had Snowy and we had Stella and some of these birds that really had some baggage and were not trustful of people. And so, getting to see them over the last couple of years completely change and and even Stella, who is particular, right, you know, right. giving them that option and seeing them change and want to come out and want to interact has been amazing. And so, um, you know, just for any other people out there who are maybe going through working with animals in a certain way that maybe isn't quite how you want it to be, you know, I know it's hard to make those changes, but we're so happy that we did. You know, we moved forward with positive reinforcement and um, giving our animals choice and control and we'll never look back, you know, and that's where Banshee came in. You know, he's our first bird that we're hand rearing that came from another zoo to try to set him up to be positive from day one. And it's been, you know, in less than two months, he's learned how to fly and fly to the glove and go on a scale and do all kinds of things that took right. so long to to train other animals to do so. Um, just kind of giving a little bit of encouragement to anyone who's, who's working to try to make their animals lives a little more, um, bright with that kind of training and stuff too. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's amazing. <laughs> Very
0: cool. And then, um, uh, also opening up the floor, is there any kind of conservation organization or anything that you're passionate about? It doesn't have to be owl related, um, that you want to give a spotlight to.
1: Yeah. Um, so we work, we do work with a lot of rescue, um, and rehab animals and birds in particular here at the zoo for the most part, all of our birds on exhibit. So our eagles, our owls, our falcons, our rescue birds, many of our ambassador animals are rescues. So um, just to, to local wildlife rehabbers, you know, if you have someone in your area around here, we have tri-state you know, we actually have a one we're kind of close with um, up in Wisconsin, where one of our Eagle mascots came from the Raptor education group, any of those organizations that you can support, um, you know, they do amazing work. And it's a very thankless job many times. So we always like to reach out to the places where animals came from and show them like this is what they're doing now so that they can see that. So yeah, support your local wildlife rehabbers, especially this time of year, especially in the spring, when it's baby season. Um, You know, they're doing work right there on the ground to help save these animals in the wild. So
0: Very cool. And then the last question is, it's time for the safari poop story. So go ahead.
1: All right. So I work a lot with our raptors, um, as noted, and we do use their food for reinforcement. Um, That means we are using what we call tidbits. And usually tidbits are pieces of rat and mouse, sometimes chick, um, that's all cut up. And many times it's the whole animal. So we don't, you know, gut it or skin it. It's everything. And There have been a handful of times, I can't even pinpoint one, where I've been out in the zoo with one of our birds, um, you know, doing a program, doing an impromptu greet, and I'm hand feeding this animal and um, birds of prey, for whatever reason, sometimes like to shake their beak to get like excess stuff off of it and stuff out of it. And there have been several moments where I am pretty sure I've had rat guts um, or poop or other things in my mouth on oh. my mouth on my face yeah, yeah. in my eye and you're in front of the public so you're just kind of like this is great <laughs> shaking it off or you know trying not to draw attention to the fact that it's probably <laughs> dripping down your face right now um yeah so that's a, a everyday part of my
0: life <laughs> so you're enjoying wearing masks oh right yes now. <laughs> the
1: mask is much is very helpful right now it keeps me a lot uh cleaner than before so yeah yep that's an everyday occurrence for me so <laughs> certainly messy.
0: Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, let's go hang out with Banshee. Yeah, for sure. Well, like I said, we're now going to go behind the scenes with Banshee. It was raining heavily the day I spent at Elmwood Park Zoo, so you're definitely going to hear the droplets hitting the metal roof, but I think you're going to get an absolute kick out of the information that Lara shares, and the fact that Banshee really just wanted to be a part of everything going on. Enjoy!
1: Oh! Okay! You don't need to jump on his hand! <laughs> oh my God. That was very sweet. I like you. you. Can you come here instead? <laughs> He's still figuring out where is appropriate to jump and where is not. I mean, he is welcome to jump on my hands. There you go. That's the the interesting thing with um, you know, we were able to get away with not uh with not using a, a glove for picking him up for a while because he was so small, and we um we wanted to introduce the glove. in a very positive way so we didn't really start doing this until we could reinforce him Um, which is still a little shifty because he his motivation goes up and down depending on the moment Um, but we're still figuring out like, oh it's the glove, it's not your head oh it's the glove, it's not your arm or your hand or your phone (laughs) there's a lot of things we're still learning (laughs) he just got um these little anklets yesterday so that's how we attach like a small leash um, which eventually we won't need more than just as a safety measure um, so his next step you know putting the anklets on meant that we can start to bring him back out in the zoo for a while we did let him run around outside and in our classroom um, but because he can fly now that's not an option at least not like unsupervised and, and unprotected and because his his interest in food is kind of all over the place right now, you know, sometimes he's, like, he's acting like he wants the food, but then he's distracted. And then he wants to go over here. It's harder to predict um, what he'll do when he gets out in a new situation. So having a little leash that he can wear is just a nice little safety measure. Yeah, so um, it's funny. he. We've been doing little pieces, you know, for most of his life, but we did, I did try to let him learn how to pull stuff apart, whole prey. The first time he ever got a full mouse, he figured out how to hold it, but he would go to pull on it and his whole foot would come up and he would basically smack himself in the face because he didn't realize how to counter pull. (laughs) He wasn't quite sure how it worked, but he knew he had to hold it and he knew he had to pull on it, but he's gotten a lot better since then. And so far, he's been pretty calm meeting pretty much anyone, which is great. Um, You know, starting him off early isn't going to prevent him from being afraid of anything, but he's been very flexible to adapt to new situations. And that helps in the long run. You know, we use his food to reward, but with raptors, a lot of times you have to maintain a certain weight range for them to be interested in food. And the the hope is that because he's a lot more comfortable and he's a lot more relaxed in certain situations is there will be less of that weight management involved. You know, we'll still use the food to reward him, but he will get reward in other ways too. He'll enjoy being around people. He'll enjoy coming out and seeing new things. You're not dealing with a lot of fear that a lot of our other birds had to overcome. (laughs)
0: I'm not going to lie, when Banshee jumped right up on my arm, it was an absolute highlight of a day that included many. What an amazing, gorgeous creature. I was so genuinely happy. Remember to check out at Rossafari on Insta and Facebook for pics of Banshee, Snowy, and some of the other ambassador animals we talked about on the pod today. Also, you can find Elmwood Park Zoo online at Elmwood Park Zoo on the socials and at elmwoodparkzoo.org. Also, make sure you check out their YouTube page, as they have done a ton of amazing virtual content since the pandemic began. Remember, part three of the Spooky Spectacular drops on Thursday. Will I handle a tarantula? Will I overcome my biggest fear? Will I explain why, in the intro of today's episode, my spooky character suddenly became a werewolf instead of a vampire? That's a big no on the last one, but you'll have to tune in to find out about the rest. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari. on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rasafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.